It's good to see you all out tonight. <clears throat> it's good to be here and to be able to bring you a lesson from God's Word. I'm, I was a little bit nervous whenever I began to first put this, put this together because, you know, I was left the latter half of James and there was only 10 verses and I thought, man, I'll get up there, I'll read those 10 verses, we'll be done and it'll be like a two minute clip here, you know, I mean, but then as I began to really dig into it, I thought, well, this is going to take longer than I supposed. So what we're going to do is cover the latter end of James. That's from James chapter 1, verse 17 through 27. Talking about the good gifts of God. Ian covered the first half, which endured temptation and things like that. And that's where we pick up from in James. Whenever he's uh, there in the... Let me just open this so I don't misquote. As he's getting to this point, he says talking about uh, temptation, that each one of us is drawn away and tempted from our own lust and, or uh, desires. And he says, when that happens, it leads to sin. And as he goes to this, but he says, but every good and perfect gift or every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And I think we sing that in, in great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. Because God is good and in him comes all good things to us, comes down from above, from the Father of lights, it tells us. All those good gifts, all those perfect gifts that we receive, we have because God loves us. And we talk about that. We, we have those good gifts. And as I begin to think about the good gifts that I have in my life, what better gifts do we have than the Word of God that we're able to study as John prayed about, that it brings us to salvation, that we have salvation through Jesus, that perfect gift that was given on the cross for us, all those good blessings we have, but it's not just those in the realm of, of Christianity and religion. We have so many great, wonderful blessings that we receive from God, but not just us, everyone has those blessings, those good gifts. The Lord has always been good and will always be good because in Him there's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. He's always good and so are His gifts. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus said that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now here's why I bring this up, because those who follow God receive good gifts, and those who don't follow God also receive good gifts. If for nothing more in this life only... Because he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And he makes his sun to shine on, on the good and on the evil. Everyone, because of the overflow of the goodness of God from the very beginning of creation. Everything that God made was very good until sin 
came into the world and corrupted his creation. But we sing about that also and sing and be happy. When we sing about there are those living in sin, blessed with earthly gain. There are people that live here and enjoy the things of this earth that this life on earth has to offer. Yet they don't know God, nor do they worship him. And so those good gifts that they receive here on earth are only temporary. And they will go away when this life is over because they will stand and give judgment and give account for their lives. That's not to say, and I don't, I don't want it to seem like I'm telling you this evening that God rewards evil behavior because he does not. It's just that the abundance of God and his goodness and his mercy is extended to all mankind. So that even the vilest sinner could have salvation, that good gift. <clears throat> so, Hebrews, he says, anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses, or the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment or worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. Now, here we are. We receive these good gifts from God. We receive everything that we have that's good in our lives. We receive because God has blessed us with these good things that we have in our lives that we, in, that we enjoy. But I would ask, what do we do with those good gifts that he's given us? The gift that we have received in salvation through Christ, the Son of God. What are we doing with that gift? Because that's important. Whenever we talk about his word that gives us hope, uh, that gives us strength in our times of weakness, that gives us peace in our times of trouble, what do we do with that word? What do we do with his son? Because those are the things that we find that good, that perfect gift that brings us hope, that gives us joy, that brings us to salvation. And what do we do with those gifts? Do we just, well, have you ever received a gift, let's say Christmas, birthday or something, you get it, you're like, oh, good, a gift, you know. You put it there, you just toss it aside. And a, you just... Use it and misuse it and things like that until it's no good anymore. Is that how we treat God's word? Is that how we treat his son? The blood that washed us and cleansed us from our sins. Do we take it as just a common gift? Or do we hold it sacred in our hearts, his word in our hearts? Do we live by his word? Do we practice his word? Do we study his word? Is it in our lives constantly, daily? Everything we receive from God is good and perfect. Because God is perfect and good. There's no variation to his goodness as we discussed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always good. He's always perfect. There's no shadow of turning with him. From the very beginning, God made everything 
and it was good. As he says in Genesis 1.31, that then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. All of God's creation, everything that he made, from the birds in the air to the beast of the earth to the fish in the sea, everything that he created was very good. And really, if you ever just go out, and I love evenings and sunsets, especially when there's clouds in the sky and how the sun illuminates on the clouds and there's that silver lining on on clouds or it gives that glow to the sky. I mean, you can look out there and see the peace and the beauty of God's creation. But what happened to the earth? I mean, it doesn't take very long for us to just look around elsewhere and see the chaos and the corruption that man has brought into the picture sin that's running rampant in the world what did we do with god's gift that perfect gift everything that was very good had become corrupted to the point that if we were to continue reading in genesis chapter six around about there i believe you see noah and the flood happening It didn't take very long in the storytelling to see that God looked down upon the state of man, upon the state of his creation, and to say, it repents me that I created man, because sin had run rampant throughout that short time. It had become, what God had made that was very good had become corrupted, but it was sin that brought that in. All that God had made was corrupted when sin entered the world. What brought sin into the world? Well, we know Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. That's what brought it into the world. Sin brought it into the world. But the reason I bring this up is because of the previous verses that Ian had studied with us before temptation temptation led adam to sin temptation is what leads us to oh i hit something i I killed it oh there it goes god gave us from the beginning all good and perfect gifts that we need and through the process of sinning we corrupted those gifts god hasn't changed those gifts the gifts are still good and perfect but what do we do with those gifts Let no man say when I'm tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor, I was going to say neither like the King James does, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Adam sinned because he was tempted and drawn away by his own lust. He was enticed by that fruit and it ushered in sin into the world. Likewise, we also are tempted by the things that we see in this world, by those who we see living in sin and they're having such a good time and I want to have a good time too because they're having a good time. And we begin to be enticed by the things of this world because we see it on TV, we read about it in books, we see it in magazines. It's everywhere that we go. It's in the workplace. It's at school. 
It's in society around us. <clears throat> but we have two choices. Boy, red really doesn't show up very good, does it? I knew that before I did this. I don't know why I did it in red. But I wanted it to be red to show, hey, behind this door is everlasting destruction. And we know that that's not going to be very pleasant to go to. We got two choices. In life, when we're faced with temptation, we have a choice. Whether or not to give in to that temptation, to give in to our desire, or to reject it and choose eternal life. We have that choice. Whenever we um, come to church or we hear the gospel preached for the first time maybe or for the second time and maybe for the third time like with me, you have a choice. Whether or not you're going to accept that choice, make the right choice, or continue down the path of destruction. The greatest gift that we are given by God is eternal life. And every one of us will choose whether to receive that gift. It's a free gift. It, there it is. And it's right there for us. But not to us, to the entire world it's offered. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with that temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be, be, may be able to bear it. We don't have to give in to temptation. We have a choice. Every time we face trials and temptations, we have a choice to make what we're going to do in that situation. A lot of times I might say, you know, I mess up and I choose the wrong one. We don't make excuses for that. It comes through studying His Word, through maturing in His Word, by growing in His Word, that we begin to make the right choices, to choose life, to choose to uh, be an example for others, to live as Christ would have you to live, to mimic his lifestyle in yours. As he said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. We're not tempted because God is trying to lure us away from him. Rather, it's the devil that's the one baiting the hooks out there trying to get you away from God, trying to keep you from making the right choices, trying to get you to go down the path that so many others have chose. But God has given us a way of escape in those times of trial and temptation, to serve him still, to be faithful to him, to cling to his word, to allow that to guide us in our lives. And if we want to endure temptation in our lives, it's because we're clinging to his word and we're allowing that to guide us to be our light to our path, that lamp to our feet. He says of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be kind, a kind of first fruits. His creatures. God's word is perfect. And it's true. And if we just take that word and allow that word to guide us in our lives, then we're made perfect through that word. We grow in that word. 
And again, it's not something that happens overnight. It's a con, uh, constant, continual studying of his word. It's not just reading it through as if it was a, a novel that you're reading, but rather as that book, Muscle and a Shovel, it takes a muscle and a shovel to dig into it, to really grab a hold of the gems that it holds into it. I remember whenever I first began talking to people shortly after I was baptized, I began talking to people, and I only know a few verses. I knew Mark 16, 16. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, right? And then I would go talk to my Baptist friends and to other people in various different religions, and I would talk to them, and then I would say, well, what about salvation? How, how are you saved? And they would say, well, you accept Jesus into your heart. And I'm like, well, what do you do with Mark 16, 16? To the point that they were like, well, my preacher says this. And I'm like, yeah, but Mark 16, 16. And that was the only scripture I knew. <laughs> and I held on to it. And then I would run to Ian and I'd be like, Ian, what do I say? They're tired of hearing Mark 16, 16. What else do I tell them? And I guess... Uh, it takes some digging. And then I grabbed a hold of 1 Peter 3.21, right? And then from there, you just continue. You continue grabbing these, and you live by them, and you constantly use them. And you allow those to, to grow in you. <clears throat> God's word is perfect. He says, but, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13.10, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. God's word is perfect. It's that perfect guide for us to give us peace in our troubles, to bring us to salvation. Without his word, we would never have found peace. Without his word, we would never find hope. Without his word, we could never obtain salvation. Can you imagine for a moment what a world would look like without God's word? It would really be a scary place, a world without hope. A world full of trouble, sin. So James goes on and he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I will stand up here and declare to you that I used to be the exact opposite of that. And maybe some of you were, have been the exact opposite of that before. I always wanted to be the right. I don't care what you say, even if you're right. I'm going to argue with you as if I was right. Uh, I was going to be very slow to hear what you had to say and very fast to say what I had to say. And I was going to be very fast to anger if I didn't get my way, which is the exact opposite of what he says here. So then, my beloved brethren, be slow to hear, uh, swift to hear, rather, Slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our tongue can be a problem for us. Life and death, as we talked about Sunday, are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat the fruits thereof. The things that we speak should be those of would bring people to life. To give people hope. But our problem... Or shall, shall I just narrow it down to me? But my problem is whenever I feel like when someone has done me wrong that I need to tell them about it. That I need to say, hey, you, you messed up, buddy. You done me wrong. And, 
and I'm not happy. Or at least that's how we get sometimes. But holding to this scripture, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know, going to sleep this whole week as I've been studying, this, as, I'm, as I'm laying there on my pillow, I'm like, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And it just keeps going through my head. That's how we should be. That's how I should be. We need to stop and think, slow down. Because as the Bible says, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lip, he's considered perceptive. I suppose I've probably been that fool before that has just blurted out whatever I wanted to say. But had I just closed my mouth, had I just listened to what the instructions were, you don't have to be first to speak. Just slow down. Think about what you're going to say. Think about how you're going to respond before you speak. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Because of that reason, because we need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Therefore, he says, or because of, for that reason, lay aside all that filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, he says, that implanted word. Allow that word to guide you. Allow that word to be in your heart. When you come across temptations, if that word's in your heart, when, you, when you're in the midst of trials and troubles and tribulations, whatever you're going through, if that word's there to guide you, you can make it through those temptations, those trials. <clears throat> Jesus said, but he, uh, more than that, he said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That woman who was saying, blessed is the womb that bore you, he says, far more blessed is those who hear the word and those that keep this word. What are we doing with God's word? Are we keeping it? Because as we started off in verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, has given to us by the Father of lights, his word he has given us to bring us to life, to bring those that if we would just take that word and give it to others, that it could bring them to life, to share that word, to live that word. What a great gift we have. And we have so many of them. We have them on our phone. We have his word. We have it on our coffee tables or our nightstands. What do we do with that word? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and that keep his word. We don't just hear his word. We live by it. We're doers of the word. And that's what he says next in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. There's a difference in coming to church on Sunday and coming on Wednesday 
and hearing God's word spoke from the pulpit and taking what message you receive from his word and applying it to your life and living it out in your life and growing in his word. I mean, we all have some scriptures that we have memorized in our lives. John 3.16, we could probably all quote. 1 Peter 3.21, we could probably all quote. Mark 16, we could probably all quote, or at least verse 16. Maybe Matthew chapter 28, we could all quote. But what do we do with the rest of that word? There's so much more in there. And it's life, and it's hope, and it's peace, and it's truth. And what do we do with it? Do you see others who are hopeless? Do you extend that hope to them through his word? Do you see others out there who are living in sin, who are far from God, who are in troubled times, who are lost without hope of salvation? What do we do with that? As Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from a childhood, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Holding on to what you know and continuing in that. Bringing that same hope to those who would hear you. Timothy was taught God's word from a young age. And he was urged by Paul to continue in that what you have learned from a child you have known these holy scriptures continue in that we're to continue in his word as well not just hearing his word on sunday or on wednesday but actively living that out in our lives and maybe that's the whole key theme to this tonight's study is what are we doing with that gift that perfect gift that word How are we treating it? He says in verse 25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man is blessed in what he does. That's exactly what Jesus has said. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We're not a forgetful hearer of it. We live it out in our lives. We take it to work with us. We take it home with us. We give it to our children. We give it to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends. We allow that word to guide us in times of trouble because we're not a forgetful hearer of it, but a doer of that work. First John, he says in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, Therefore, let that abide in you, that word. Let that word abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he promised us, eternal life. His word brings us to salvation, that eternal life that we have only through him. If any among you thinks it, He is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Again, we go back to the tongue. 
You see, because as we begin studying his word and growing in his word, the things that come out of our mouth should be more like his word than that of the world. We should speak the things that are thus life and hope and peace. And we shouldn't speak as the world speaks. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. Why? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And there's so much importance in controlling what we say, controlling what we think. Because Jesus would say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What, are, what is in our heart that we're speaking? What's coming out of our mouth is what's in our heart. Is God's word planted in our heart, that implanted word. Is that what's in our heart or, or is our heart full of days of our lives or is that... I don't know what the latest sitcoms are, okay? I don't know. Whatever it is, just throw, throw something from TV or the rest of the world in there. What do we speak? And our last verse then. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit the widows and orphans or orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Pure religion, undefiled religion. What are we doing with the gift that God gave us? Are we keeping it pure and holy? Or are we treating it just like some, some random guy? Oh, well, thank you for this gift. I'm just going to throw it over there. I'll live by it whenever it's convenient for me to live by it. Or are we taking it and keeping it sacred? This is precious to me. Does it mean so much to you that you're willing to live by it every day in your life? I mean, whenever we get a nice shiny phone that we paid lots of money for, you know, we take it, we, we go get a case and we put it in a case, we put a protective cover on top of the glass there, and we treat it good, right? Sometimes. What do we do with his word? Do we treat it like that? That something that's so precious, something so valuable, that we allow it to guide us to the point that it becomes pure, that it's undefiled, that we live by it, that we visit the widows and the orphans and their oppressions, that we, that we take them and we give them hope, the same hope that we have, that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. What are we doing with this word? We receive those pure and perfect gifts from God. How do we treat them? His word is precious and perfect. It brings us to salvation. What are we doing with his word? How we receive and what we do with his word matters. It matters so much that we spent the majority of our time talking about it this evening. But it should matter so much more than that. That we go home tonight and that we keep his word in our heart. That we wake up tomorrow. That we have his word in our heart that we go to work or go to school or go wherever we're going, that his word is constantly with us, that it's not just left at home on the shelf. His word should live in us and grow in us, and it should bring us to action, the action of serving others, of helping others, of bringing hope to others. And so as we close, what are you doing with the gifts God's given you? Because one day... We will stand before God in judgment and give an account of how we have treated his word, of how we have handled those times of temptation and trial, of whether or not we've done the things that he has told us to do. 
Lord, when saw we thee a hungered or a thirst or naked or sick and in prison? And we've done these things to you. And just as we talked about Sunday, whenever you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. That's that pure and undefiled religion because we're living that word out in our lives. So how are you treating his word tonight? The invitation is yours. If you need the prayers of the church or maybe to get yourself on track to become a Christian, to walk that new life in God, we stand here ready to assist you and we invite you to come as we sing the song selected.